This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to the most listened to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And, of course, we're always live on that free mobile app presented by Visit Avery Island. And trust me, I use that quite a bit in the downtime while I was out in Hoover, Alabama to listen to Acadiana's number one sports station. I'd say the undisputed champion of sports talk, period especially when it comes to the SEC, where it just means more. We were out there all last week, but, brother, it feels great to be back inside the 237 Roof Studios for another edition of Under the Dome. And I got to say, we are looking good. Baby, we're looking good. After a busy, I'm talking busy week with SEC Media Days, and I give you my thoughts on Everything that happened there a little bit later on in the program, but trust me, we've got it you covered because I've got some, I'm going to have some fun with this show today. It's usually, we like to have a lot of guests, a lot of content, but guess what? We kind of created our own content in a, in a different sort of way with what happened over the course of SEC media days. And we want up voting and sometimes you just got to have your democratic right to vote. And we voted on a lot of great things, including the all preseason, all SEC, my picks, and more importantly, this is just really cool. We also picked the predicted order of finish, and they tell us not to unveil that until after they release it. They released it yesterday. I decided to save it for today because I'm going to give you my like full, unfiltered thoughts on this. I'll give you the why, the who, and the how I wound up coming to that decision for a lot of them because, mind you, a lot of them, it was, I'll just say it right now, a lot of it was based off a name brand value for the most part. But some of them, I had to kind of do a lot more research and spend some time making sure that I had the right guys in place and ready to go. But if you want to talk about what happened at SCC Media Days, you want to tell me what happened with you over the last week, because trust me, I've only talked to a couple of y'all. So just hit us up. Arco Equipment Hotline, wide open, 337-706-0111. I don't mind taking a break from all the action talk to you today this is gonna be kind of sort of your show only one guest on tap for today it definitely is something to look forward to this coming monday sunbelt media days we're gonna have kara richie on she's a good friend of our of the program more importantly we've got sunbelt media days coming up and there's a lot of newness around there you've got a new commissioner you've got a lot of great things going on with that conference but what does that mean what can this mean for the world of Sunbelt football, what's the expectations going to be like on Monday, whenever you have the new commission taking the podium for the first time, really kind of talking to the medium, definitely going to be interesting. But, of course, 
we got to kind of give you an idea of what's going on this weekend. Sure, it's July the 20th, and that means you're in the end game now. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say, like, right here, right now is whenever things start to hit, hit the end of the line of the, oh, hey, we're going to talk about all these other sports that are going on and whatnot. Obviously, you got golf. You've got the basketball tournament going on. This is the time whenever we kind of pull back behind the curtain and start realizing we're getting that much closer to football season. we got talking season, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Probably going to want to get some other friends of the program on the station not too long from now, but trust me, I'm looking forward to it. And like I said, it's the weekend. We might as well figure out what's on tap. I know the weekend. Man, I thought it would never get here. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah. Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. The biggest thing on tap has to be, without a doubt, what's going on at the Open Championship, the final of the Big Four, the Grand Slam. And my goodness, it has just been quite entertaining, to say the least, despite the fact you don't have the big dogs that we've talked about a lot in the past. Obviously, you don't have guys like a Tiger Woods and a Roy McIlroy. I'll get to those in a minute. But, of course, Shane Lowry leading the pack at 8-under tied with Tommy Fleetwood, whose day just got started, along with Shane Lowry. That's the beauty of the British Open. They started this thing early in the morning over here stateside. Tommy Fleetwood, J.P. Holmes at 8-under as well. He's, both these guys tied for first. All three of these guys tied for first. Xander Schauffele having one hell of a third round at 4-under. He's 7-under overall. He currently is through 10, so he can wind up making a, so making a decent run. He's Of course, he's only one stroke behind. Jordan Spieth right there at 7-under right here right now. His day's just getting started, but he's looking pretty good. 2-under through four holes, not half bad. Way better than my game, I'll say that much. And then kind of the old guard, Lee Westwood. How about that name coming almost virtually out of nowhere, tied for fourth right now at 7-under alongside Fellow, fellow countryman, Justin Rose, Brooks Kepka, the man who doesn't practice. You know, we talk about practice here. The man is currently at six under, tied for ninth. But again, it's a very crowded house right now. If you just look at the leaderboard, there's no clear cut, you know, like somebody leading the pack. It's about a couple, like your guys who are tied for ninth are only two strokes behind the leaderboard right now at eight. Again, Lowry, Fleetwood, and JB Holmes, all three of them. Are in the are at eight under. Everybody else is seven and six under. So things are getting a lot more tight. And who knows what could happen by the end of today? Because a lot of these guys are still going. You can see that you can see that lead increase, or you can see it be even more hotly contested over the next, let's say, twenty four to forty eight hours. Because it's going to be fun to see what happens down the stretch of the Open Championship going on this year at the Dunluce Course which honestly is a really cool name. Hopefully I didn't screw up the pronunciation of that. I don't have the pronunciation readily available. But I was talking about him, you know, obviously Lee Westwood, the old man, 46 years old, still got it based on what we saw. Lee Westwood, he actually talked about it after round two, about having fun playing with the kids. I literally don't care anymore. I just go out there and I'm 46 years old and still competing with these young lads and won last year. So, you know, it's... Uh... There's no pressure on me. It's, uh, it's just I just go out there and have fun. Yeah, dude, I cannot wait to see what happens with him. Just It's great to see a guy like that 
kind of come out of nowhere in this kind of tournament. It's just great. These like the old guard still showing. Maybe maybe they got one more mini run in them. And of course, you know we got a lot of th- other things to talk about when it comes to the open. One of those big things is without a doubt, Tiger Woods. He is out of the tournament. He is done. Had a very very poor showing the first two rounds. Did not make the cut, and it felt like he just was never going to after the first round. Definitely not his best work. But he talked about it after round two, possibly taking some time off. I just want some time off, just to get away from it. Had a long trip to uh, to Thailand, then tried to get ready for this event, play this event. It's it's been a, a, a lot of travel, a lot of time in the air, a lot of moving around and different hotels and everything. I just want to just want to go home. And I have to agree with him. Whenever you have that kind of thing, you just want to go home, pack it in, and just relax. And I think taking time off for Tiger Woods is the thing that just needs to happen. Tiger's been doing this for so long at a certain level. Now that he's started to be be more and more, like, he's still not necessarily like a full-time, whenever you think about it in terms of a golfer. He's not participating in every single tournament anymore. Because he's still got he's still dealing with a lot of those injuries. He's not getting any younger and the guy's been doing it for so long, you deal with a lot of these injuries. And I'm interested to see what's going to wind up happening with the future of this of this guy's career. Is he done? It's not a poll question, but I wouldn't mind getting your takes on it. 337-706-0111. Is Tiger Woods officially done? Was the U.S. Open his last hurrah? Was that just going to him... Say his moment in the sun one more time. I, I'm starting to think so. It's largely because of the fact he just has underwhelmed in the Open Championship. The U.S. Open, it was his one shot. Not the U.S. Open, the Masters, excuse me. Was his one shining moment. He looked okay in the, in the U.S. Open, but it was all about the Masters for him. And that one last moment. I think he can have that one last moment right off in the sunset. And Tiger Woods, honestly, I would not be surprised if he calls it a career after this, because I think this would be the ideal way to end things in a logical sense. Will it happen, though? I don't necessarily think so. But it's definitely the big thing everybody over here is talking about. But, of course, there's other things going on in the world of sports. Obviously, we got Major League Baseball still going on. But, you know, that's not necessarily as enticing as, say, the basketball tournament, which the team of Louisiana, Louisiana United, started things off against Team Arkansas. And some little, I'm going to pull up the stats real quick for what happened last night. This is coming from courtesy of Matthew Schwartz out in Arkansas. Put up, He put up a tweet last night showing the final stats, and it definitely sh- tells an interesting tale of the tape. And I love how whenever you pull up Twitter images, it just doesn't necessarily show it in like the most highest of quality images. Okay, here we go. When you just look at Louisiana United, I have to say impressive numbers from one man and one man only, and that is, without a doubt, Frank Bartley, the former Louisiana Raging Cajun, definitely the big dog of the team, headed up by, by Brad Boyd. He only had eight points, but looked pretty good in terms of free throws, made all of them. Definitely not necessarily as big of an impact player as, say, a Tyron Johnson, who wound up putting up 23 points and leading the team. But still, a solid performance from Frank Bartley. And the Louisiana United beat Team Arkansas 76-60. to 
in the first round of the tournament, which started last night for them. There's going to be a lot of other matchups coming up down the line. The bracket is interesting, but they're going to start things off over there. It's a tournament, in case you didn't know, winner take all, $2 million up for grabs. I know Ben had earlier this week Brad Boyd and I believe Frank Bartley as well and gave us an idea of what was going on involving that. The basketball tournament, $2 million for the winner. That's some really cool stuff, so hopefully you're keeping an eye on that, keeping tabs on it if you're a fan of the state of Louisiana doing some big things. Of course, Louisiana State University doing some big things as well. Big news coming out of there with Cole Taylor. He officially committed the nation's number 10 tight end and definitely is a big impact player because of the fact that the position isn't necessarily has been utilized as much as maybe we like. But with Joe Brady at the helm of that offense, you can about imagine that offense is going to be utilizing the tight end position a lot more. Just look at how they've used it in the past with the New Orleans Saints, especially with the, uh, somebody by the name of Jimmy Graham. When you had him at the helm and kind of really at another level, this man was just ridiculous. Honestly, just can't wait to see what this guy can wind up doing. A lot of hype surrounding him, and that Ben actually had on Mike Scarborough yesterday. In my first day back, talking about it, it, it feels weird that we kind of are talking about commits again after a little bit of a break. And this kind of just popped up moments ago with former LSU linebacker Devin White has been named the 2019 Male Corbett Award winner which is given annually by the Greater New Orleans Sports Award Committee to the top amateur student-athlete in the state. This was announced just moments ago in a release by LSU, and that includes Sarah Finnegan and gymnastics co-head coach Dee Bro and former LSU football player Billy Truex will be presented these on August the 10th as part of the Greater New Orleans Sports Hall of Fame banquet at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Okay, that's I think I got everything in on that aspect, but of course, I brought it up earlier. It's Sun Belt Media Days this Monday. It's not necessarily what's on tap this weekend, but it's something that's on the horizon. I think a lot of people should be keeping an eye on. Maybe not necessarily as much of an eye on as, say, the Open or still kind of your big takeaways from SEC Media Days, from from our aspect at least. But we're going to be out there covering it on Monday. Raven Parcher third and Ben Love will be out there. I won't be. I'm perfectly fine with that after driving the umpteen hours to Alabama through a tropical storm last weekend, I'll take my chances and just enjoy being inside the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing once again. But there's a lot of things to break down about some of the media days. You got a new head coach at App State and Troy, the two brand, the two people who have set the bar, the two schools who have set the bar for excellence in the Sunbelt Conference, App State and, the, and Troy. Arkansas State, they still have their head coach. Blake Henderson's been there a while. Very much, you know, he's that like if you look if I were to rank the head coaches in terms of what they're like, what their odds are for being a, given a power five job in the next like two to three years, Blake Anderson's at the top of the list. The guy has been a consistent model of success, and he's a guy that I think could wind up getting a power five job in the next two to three years. People are probably gonna say, why not Billy Napier? I'm giving Billy Napier a little bit more time because I want to see what he does and if he's able to make this program sustainable. Because HUD, you know, whenever he won his first several New Orleans Bowls, he had a lot of talent that was still part of the Ricky Bustle era. As more and more of those guys started to fall to the wayside, especially a guy like Terrence Broadway, you could see there were clear issues with Hudspeth's 
ability to run a program, and that's why he's now a head coach of Austin P after a year at Mississippi State. I feel like he definitely is the guy who belongs more in a smaller pond as opposed to being the big fish in the Sunbelt Conference. He definitely couldn't fit that mold. Billy Napier, I think he can. He just needs to have he's gonna have to spend some time there before getting that big opportunity because again, it feels like right now, especially the bigger conferences like an SEC and an ACC, things are relatively in place, they're, they're interlocked, they're intertwined with each other like Legos, to where you're not necessarily going to even be seeing a whole lot of movement. And that's why I think you see Napier be part of the Cages program for a good while. But you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break because I'm running out of time, and we got to get to it. Because trust me, you're going to love what's coming up next. I'll give you a little bit of an idea of it because it's the all-SEC preseason polls. And what I thought about the offense, the defense, the special teams, and a whole lot more. Coming up in this hour, 11.30, Kara Ritchie. At the top of the 11 o'clock hour, we'll be giving you my predicted order to finish for the SEC, where it just means more. And we got to take a quick commercial break. Be back with more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game. In my opinion, I'm the best one. And that's, you know, not just because I'm a confident person, but I actually believe that. Um, I feel like my teammates believe in me, too, and Coach Fisher does. So, um, like I just told him, I can come out here and say that in front of the media, but it's i got to go out and prove it on the field. So, obviously, this is the SEC is you know has a lot of great quarterbacks, and they've all pro, uh, proven it you know throughout the years, but um, I feel like I'm the best. You feel like you're the best, but I definitely feel like you're not quite the best because it is definitely three guys in particular, and I feel like – the media got a right from that aspect when it comes to all SEC selections. And that was Tua Tungavilloa, Joe Burrow, Jake Fromm in that. Yeah, it was Tua Tungavilloa, Jake Fromm, and then Joe Burrow in that order. I feel like they nailed it. But, of course, I have my own opinions about all SEC preseason. I got to vote in this for the first time ever, which is, one, really cool, and, two, definitely a weird flex. But it's my flex, so I absolutely love it. But we got to start things off talking about the offensive side of the football. I'll try and get to this quickly because we're running short on time here. Why don't we get a little long with a little what's on tap and what's causing all this. But, of course, start things off. Quarterback, for me, I picked Tua Tungavilloa and Joe Burrow, one and two. That's how I did it because you had to rank only two. And Tua Tungavilloa, I feel like it's obvious. The guy is an absolute stud. Joe Burrow, he's got the ability to do so, but I'm not necessarily sold because I have not seen anything that tells me otherwise about LSU's offense that's going to say, hey, this guy can wind up doing exactly what we expect him to do with this new offense because we haven't seen anything of that offense. That's the biggest question mark of them all. And, of course, that's the big reason why I went that way. I could have gone Jake Fromm, but I'm giving Joe Burrow a little bit benefit of the doubt. And I've seen what he did last year, especially the UCF game. If you have that and you have Joe Burrow, and you have a lot of these guys coming back, like I guess Stephon Sullivan and Jamar Chase, all these guys, 
this team's going to be an absolute force to be reckoned with. Looking at the running back side of things, I was surprised Clyde Edwards-Elaire wasn't in there. Again, they don't show you how much like the votes and whatnot with this because it's definitely way too complicated. But here's how I ranked it. Najee Harris makes sense. Alabama, the dude has been a stud. DeAndre Swift, again, Georgia has had a lot of solid running backs over the last five years. We can talk about Nick Chubb. We can talk about Sonny Michelle. We can talk about all these guys who have been part of like really solid Georgia running back tandems. I think this guy, DeAndre Swift, is going to start really showing how super effective he can wind up being. A Pokemon pun right there for you. And then Clyde Edwards-Alaire at three. I would love to have given a little bit of love to a lot of other guys that are part of that running back court at LSU, especially some of the young freshmen. They're going to be part of that program, but they weren't on the list. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets my LSU vote. And then LaMichael Pirine, who actually wound up hearing from a lot during the first day of SEC Media Days, and I love what I heard from him. LaMichael Pirine, I like him enough to say, hey, he's going to be in there. He's in He's in my list. And then comes the fun part whenever we're looking at wide receivers. Obviously, Jerry Judy, the guy's an absolute monster, and I'm, I think he's going to be somebody you need to keep an eye on. Jerry Judy, number one. Jamar Chase, not in there at all. I'm like, what are you doing, SEC? This is a guy that I feel like is going to be one of the top wide receivers in the league. And I don't care how how much you might think, you know, why why did you put him number two? In my mind, he's better than Devontae Smith and Van Jefferson, who was my fourth pick and my third pick. It's, you have Devontae Smith and Van Jefferson, my third and fourth pick. Jamar Chase picked, I have him ranked second amongst SEC wide receivers. Jamar Chase is going to have a breakout year. And I feel like the SEC will give him a lot of love when it's all said and done. These preseason polls don't mean a whole hell of a lot, but trust me, it is a fun exercise to say the least. Gonna hurry up, rapid fire. Cheyenne O'Grady out of Arkansas. That guy, CJ O'Grady, is gonna be a guy to keep an eye on out of an Arkansas team that's not not gonna wind up doing a whole hell of a lot of good, but they're they're a program that I'm interested in and seeing what they're gonna do going forward. And of course, we gotta talk about offensive line. And I'm going to go through real quick with just offensive line general generalizations. One through eight. Deontay Brown out of Alabama. Damian Lewis out of LSU is number two. Mike Horton out of Auburn, number three. Alex Leatherwood, number four. Prince Tego Wanogo. I would put it number one just because of the name, but he's at number five in the list. Solomon Kinley is sixth. Ben Cleveland out of Georgia, seventh. And then Jedrick Willis Jr., number eight. And then finally, before we can take a quick commercial break at center, I think we got to wind up talking a little bit about your boy, Lloyd Cushenberry, mentioned during the two-minute drill Remington Award watch list. I have him as the best center in the SEC right behind Drake Jackson out of Kentucky. No real scrubs here in the SEC, and we definitely don't want no scrubs on Under the Dome with CD. You can call us up, Art Co-Equipment Hotline. Give us a take. On who's the best quarterback in the SEC? Is Tiger Woods done? Let us know. Call me up right now, 337-706-0111. Back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. You Manchester United supporters, sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. 
We're still a couple weeks out from the start of soccer season, more when it pertains to the EPL. But, of course, I mean, we talk about the MLS, and but there's a big difference between the two things. And, honestly, I think Zlatan said it best. We had, we had a history during Bobber to Bobber Sports. Just feel like playing it one more time. Big difference. It really is a big difference between what's going on in the EPL and what's going on in the world of MLS, which is a far inferior product, and that's why I don't necessarily really talk about it that much. But again, if we're going to talk about actual football, not 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 that football or soccer, as we like to say here all, all over in the states. We we'll talk some SEC football right here on one hundred three seven. The game, and before we kind of really dive deep into it, here's a quick soundbite from Mark Stoops about one of my favorite players in all the SEC and probably all of college football. And that is future WWE superstar Cash Daniel. At least with that name, he should be. You know, Cash is, you know, what you love about Cash is what you see is what you get. He's a guy that's very passionate about things, and you got to love that. He's passionate about being from Kentucky, being from eastern Kentucky, and having a tough blue-collar background that I could certainly relate to. Uh, he, he's selfless. He cares about his team. He cares about winning. Sure, he wants to do good for himself. Uh, but he's passionate about his brothers in that locker room. And uh, I think that's why a lot of people relate to him very well. Which we'll go over here to Interesting, though, to hear that from Mark Stoops talking about the linebacker for the Kentucky Wildcats, a guy that definitely has that. We talk about it a lot in sports, and he has that swag about him. And it works so well with his mentality. And you think about it. The University of Kentucky and football just aren't necessarily synonymous with each other. It's a basketball school for the most part. Last year, they surprised a lot of people, and it was fun to watch. The Kentucky Wildcats were very, very entertaining, and I think they had every chance to be so again this year. And a lot of it has to do with one man and one man only. That is the man, Cash Daniel, and he's one of the guys I actually picked as an all-SCC player on the defensive side of the football. Not necessarily top of the top of the list, top of the heap, but he's in there. And he wound up making the preseason all-SEC list, and I don't think I had it handed up. I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. I feel like everybody else voted for him as well because, again, when you vote for these preseason all-SECs, not only are you kind of looking at what they did last year and what have, what have you done for me lately, but more importantly, you're also wanting to look at what exactly they bring to the table. What kind of name brand do you have, especially whenever it, you've got to go through about like two or three linebackers per school, and you're trying to make a true, like, unbiased point of view, mind you, some of that might be a little bit biased, but also you know how legitimate some of these guys are on LSU squad, and that's why like, I definitely lean towards that. But this is going to be a segment where I just dive into the defense and special teams side of things. Starting things off, we got to look at the defensive line. I'll do it a little bit differently because, again, I it's it involves also defensive ends and your straight-up defensive linemen. I'll give you the rankings one through eight. Starting things off, Raekwon Davis out of Alabama. The dude has just been an absolute monster. He definitely deserves it as your number one. Number two, McTelvin Agam. Again, a lot like what I was talking about with C.J. O'Grady. It, like, C.J. O'Grady is going to be a solid player. McTelvin, he's going to be a guy just to keep an eye on as your number two. If he is like he could be 
poised for a breakout season. But I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Braden Fajoka will be finishing well above Agum. Again, I felt like he definitely, again, maybe it's just if I get an awesome name and I put him there, but he's number two on the list. Number three, number four, both LSU players and both defensive ends with Braden Fajoko and Rashard Lawrence. These two guys are absolute monsters. And I love the fact that they actually made the All-SEC team. And I'm looking forward to seeing what those two guys will bring to the table in 2019. Tyler Clark out of Georgia, number five. LeBron Ray out of Alabama, number six. Marlon Davidson, number seven. And DJ Wanham, number eight out of South Carolina. And again, it was definitely a lot of these guys aren't necessarily going to be your all stars once you go to like like five, six, seven, eight. But you can tell they still got a lot of talent with those teams and the programs they're with. Moving over to the world of linebacker, Anthony Jennings is number one again. I gave Alabama a lot of love for the most part. I think you'll see a different perspective than most. In the next position, I'll break down, but Anthony Jennings and Dylan Moses, one and two, respectively, I feel like you can knock a wrong with that. Number three, Caleb on Saw. He is going to be an absolute stud. Number five, number four, Michael Divinity. I want to see what this dude does. And again, I am intrigued as all get out with Michael Divinity, Cash Daniel, number five, and then finally, Jacob Phillips. I had to put all three LSU linebackers in there. If I didn't, I was doing them a severe disservice linebacker position is pretty stacked when you just look at who wanted making the cut and who didn't i could have put some other guys like a georgia like a player from georgia or auburn but definitely a lot of alabama and lsu in that respect and i feel like you can definitely agree with that point of view as opposed to when you look at what a pick for defensive lines some of those maybe i'd be put in concussion protocol by a certain someone Looking over at the defensive back position, I feel like everybody's going to wind up agreeing with me on this one here. The top three all from LSU, and I feel like this one is a no-brainer. And I'm amazed all three of these, only one of these guys made it in. Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, and Derek Stingley Jr., one through three respectively. Yes, I gave a freshman the third spot amongst defensive backs. The guy has enough hype. I am giving him the love and I'm looking forward to see what he does in his freshman season. I think he can be all SEC in his freshman campaign. I am throwing it out there. I'm throwing the gauntlet out there for him. Hopefully he lives up to that hype in his freshman season. I don't know where that came from. But, once again, Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, and Derek Stingley Jr. Top three defensive backs in my mind. DBU is called DBU for a reason. And I'm going with that, especially this year. This is probably going to be one of the best defensive defensive secondaries in the entire league. And that's definitely a step in the right direction for LSU because it feels like DBU hadn't necessarily had that accreditation. And, yes, I'm, it's a pun, but it's definitely a worthwhile one to keep an eye on. And, of course, you know, we got to bring it up. Coach O actually talked about Grant Delpit on Monday. He's the best returning player in college football. Grant is, I, I believe Grant is the best defensive player coming back in college football this year. Ain't no question about it. Uh, uh, he can do everything. Uh, we we needed him in the post against Ole Miss. He got the interception for us. We needed him to get pressure against Ole Miss. We sent him. He got sacks. 
Uh, he is he is tall. He's smart. He's a great young man. Uh, I do believe that he's one of the best defensive players I've ever been around. Exactly. Definitely something just to kind of look at. He talks about Grant Delpit being the best returning player. And I talked about it. Grant Delpit has a lot of confidence. And again, a lot of these players for LSU have a lot of confidence. And they brought that when it came to SEC Media Days on Monday during their time with the media. And Grant Delpit put it like this. Our group is the best in the nation. I'll put us as best in the nation. Um, and that's got to be our mindset. Uh, you know, we can't have the mindset that any receiver is better than us, any receiving core is better than us, or we're going to go out there and get beat. So um, that's just is how it is playing the SEC. And uh, that's just the tradition of LSU DBs, man. You know, we've had the best. We are the best uh, traditionally. You know, we've got to uphold that at that, that all means. And I have to agree, there's a lot of hype around this program with the defensive backs in mind. And that's a big reason why I have them one, two, and three because they've got so much talent. Number four, Patrick Sartain out of Alabama, J.R. Reed out of Georgia. Number five, a lot of a lot of veterans from this point on. C.J. Henderson out of Florida, Trevon Diggs out of Alabama, and I might get some flack for this, but C. But Jacoby Stevens out of LSU is number eight amongst my defensive backs. I could have gone all four of them, one, two, three, four, but I just. I couldn't quite put Jacoby Stevens on that level. Again, I could be completely wrong about this. But Jacoby Stevens compared to a Grant Delpit, a Christian Fulton, a Derek Stingley Jr., just an LSU's perspective, I couldn't put him on that same kind of pedestal. And, of course, again, it's largely because, you know, you look at the rest of the defensive backs in the conference, Patrick Sertain is a guy that definitely deserves that four spot. JRE, a senior and established player, definitely deserves his spot. C.J. Henderson deserves his spot. Trevon Diggs deserves his spot. It really speaks to the depth that the world of the DBs in the SEC have nowadays because we're seeing it. We talk about LSU being DBU. I think a lot of programs are wanting to become a DBU type of program on the defensive side of the football now that we've got more studs in the position of quarterback. We talk about Kellen Mond. He he claimed himself to be the best quarterback in the SEC. Jake Bentley, you've got him, the elder statesman of the SEC, really held, held himself well. Jake Fromm's there. You've got Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavialoa. Again, Kellen Mond definitely deserves to be in the conversation of some of the best. And it feels like he is he's right there, but he's still that rung below your Jake Fromm's, your Joe Burrow's, your Tua's of the world especially when it comes to the SEC. And then finally, going to run through rapid-fire style, the place kicker and the punter. Rodrigo Blankenship and Connor Limpert are my two picks for place kicker. Punter, Zach Von Rosenberg out of LSU, and Tommy Townsend out of Florida. Again, just really didn't – hard, it's hard to kind of give these guys a whole lot of love, but Rodrigo Blankenship will always get my vote, even though he won't be part of the league anytime, like anymore. Return specialist Derek Stingley Jr., I am surprised he didn't make that spot because that guy is going to be really, really good in that position. He'll be seeing him be a lot better than a, a certain someone, a former Texas A&M Aggie. Just saying. Jalen Waddle right behind him, and then Jalen Waddle have him again as the second-best all-purpose player right behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That's my picks. That's my predictions for all SEC from, the aspect, from my aspect. Again, I'm just... 
giving you what I think and how I think these guys should be ranked. Am I wrong on these statements? Probably about a good half of them. But again, you've got to think about it. It is very, very hard to kind of accurately predict who is the best in the SEC from a player perspective because there's a lot of positions, a lot of names that you're kind of going to have to run through just to finally figure out which one is the absolute best. Who's the king of that castle? But you know what? We're going to tell you about who's running things when it comes to the world of Major League Baseball because it was definitely a fun night in the world of Major League Baseball. We'll break it all down for you next because we're rounding to the bases, baby. It is a Saturday morning tradition unlike any other. Give you an idea of what's going on around the world of the MLB. And we'll do that next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios, presented by Lafayette Roofing. And we got a lot more fun coming up. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Get back! Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. And my goodness, what a great Friday night it was in the world of Major League Baseball. And I'll break it all down for you like we always do every Saturday afternoon with a little segment we like to call here. Well, we, meaning I, I guess I'm using the royal we in that aspect. But we're going to talk about it right now with a little round of the bases. The grind of baseball season is a long one, and the famous CD isn't afraid of rounding the bases on a Saturday morning. Time to play ball and touch them all, right here on 1037 The Game. Obviously, we got to start things off talking about the Houston Astros, and they just absolutely were crushing the baseball at will last night, going back to back. The back, 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 back in the third inning. Jordan Alvarez with a solo home run to make it 4 nothing to kind of cap off that big third inning. First pitch swinging. That ball is torched. Back to back to back for the Astros. Alvarez with home run number 10. Alvarez has been an absolute beast since coming onto the program, and he has just been amazing to see what the Astros have done with him. And alongside of other, other guys, again, they won that game 4-3. to three, Justin Verlander with his 12th win of the season. I believe he threw 12 strikeouts on the evening. But, of course, a lot of people are talking about what was going on with the San Francisco Giants with Kung Fu Fat Boy helping get a game-winning run in the bottom of the 10th of, of an error. The pitch from Rain. 
Sandoval hits a high pop-up. Shallow left field. Smith coming in. Rosario going out. And Smith will call him off. And he doesn't catch it. Dickerson coming to third. Smith with the ball. Throws to Frazier. He throws home. It gets by the catcher. Dickerson slides in and scores. And that's how the Giants have won this game. And I feel like Mike Francesa probably would have ripped this team a whole new one after kind of watching that ball game. He would have been just throwing things all over the place. And everybody is just probably incredibly frustrated over in New York if they're a Mets fan. And then again, I just I feel absolutely sorry for them. But mind you, that's largely because of the fact that the New York Yankees are absolute beasting and feasting in the long ball it's back for one. Aaron Judge with the two-run blast to really kind of put his stamp on the ballgame. Sets a career high in RBIs. Pitch to Judge. Hit high in the air to deep right center field. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a judge in blast to right center field. A two-run home run. All rise. Here comes the Judge. Here comes the judge. The dude just absolutely crushes the ball every single time. But what was really cool about Friday night was what was going on in St. Louis, the ball game between St. Louis and the Cincinnati Reds. With the Reds, they're actually up 7 to nothing, And then the Cards come out of nowhere, put up 10 runs, and come away with a 12-11 to win. And Paul DeJong kind of hitting that two-run blast in the seventh to really, once again, Put his stamp on the ball game. Sets up outside. Wong not going. And that ball is hit hard and deep down the left field line. Stay fair, baby. It does. Big fly. Paul DeYoung. Two-run shot. His 15th. And the Cardinals now lead 12-7. to Just amazing to see what was going on last night. The St. Louis Cardinals rallying back down 7 to nothing to come away with a win over the Cincinnati Reds, making that NL Central a lot more interesting in the process. In the last bit of things going on last night, Daniel Vogelbach of the Seattle Mariners, a quick look at what's going on with another AL West foe. The Mariners took on the Los Angeles Angels last night and absolutely crushed their faces in 10 to nothing. Once again, thanks to a couple home runs from one Daniel Vogelbach. The 1-2. Swing, club, maybe the second time. Yes, it is. Monster blast out to right center field. Daniel Vogelback, second time, three-run home run. He can see Jaime Maria every day of the week. Eight-nothing Mariners. Definitely a lot of fun to see that those two teams play each other. But, of course, the Mariners just clearly showing that that AO West is going to be Kind of tough for the Astros to get out of relatively unscathed because the Astros currently they are they're still leading the league, but definitely it's not as close. It's not as it's not as dominant as it has been in the past. But when you look at what's going on right now in terms of the odds for the team to make the postseason for the Houston Astros, currently according to Baseball Reference, ninety seven point one percent chance of making the postseason. And a 10% chance, which is the second best out of all of the AL, to win the World Series. The Yankees are the lead are the leaders in the proverbial clubhouse with a 13.1% chance. 
and compare it to what's going on with the MLB. The Cubs and the Doyers are the two leaders in the clubhouse, but the Doyers, 29.2% chance to win the World Series, and the Cubbies, 11.9%. And if you want to know who is pretty much, I'd say, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the White Sox, Royals, Twins, they're pretty much out of contention. And then the Seattle Mariners, they're surprisingly out of contention, but they're still showing their signs of life after all because they're beating the snot out of the Los Angeles Angels because they have Mike Trout, and that's about it. That's why you don't pay a guy like that that much money without having other guys alongside him to try and make your team at least look like a contender. We'll take a quick commercial break, come back, and then 11 o'clock we are going to dive deep into the SCC waters and give you an idea of what I think about the SEC rankings and who do I have winning the SEC championship when it's all said and done and which way other things wind up going. We'll be back after this on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Just keep it locked right here. And also at 11.30, we'll talk with Kara Ritchie a little bit about Sunbelt and what's going on with them in a pretty new look. Live from the new look Sunbelt Conference. Back after this. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back. Hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com live for the 237 Roof Studios. And we're getting you that much closer to enjoying a great weekend of sports. Of course, I talked about it. We got a lot of sports going on right now. The basketball tournament is going on. And, of course, the Open is the thing that everybody and then Mama is talking about right about now. And I have to agree with them because it is really entertaining so far. You're seeing... It still be a very tight race, but now things are starting to turn in a different way. How exactly? Well, at the top of the hour, I talked about the fact that there was a three-way tie first. Now the gap has widened a little bit. They've currently got a three-stroke lead over most of the field. I'll break it down for you like this. The top five. Your top five consists of Shane Lowry, still a 10-under. He's a three-way tie with J.B. Holmes. And the old man himself playing with the kids still through six holes. All three of them currently at 10 under. Nothing short of impressive to see what Lee Westwood is doing right now at 10 under. Currently kind of feasting in the third round. Still plenty of room to grow, but it's going to be intriguing to see what he winds up doing. And right behind him, fellow statesman Tommy Fleetwood, the young buck right there. At 9-under, he stands alone at 4th place, one stroke behind. And pretty much everybody else is only is now three strokes behind the leaders 
Hearts of the clubhouse, and that is Brooks Kepka, seven under right now. He's through seven. Currently in the third round, he is two under. Right now, Danny Willett feverishly fighting to kind of put himself in contention heading into the final round. He's through 17 with a six under today. Of course, seven under overall. The dude has been, he's on a tear right now. He's on a heater. Sadly, his day is going to come to an end, and he's going to have to wait to see what happens with the rest of these guys because there's still a lot of a lot of golf left to be played. But being in the top five wouldn't be half bad of a start for a guy who could wind up taking the momentum on Saturday and turning it into Sunday and really start setting himself up for potential success. And that'd be a great story to say the least. Tony Finau currently at seven under. And then Justin Rose as well. That rounds out what's going on with the top five. Then you've kind of got a, a battle in a tie for ninth place with several players, including Justin Rose, Andrew Shoffley, Hendrick Stinson, Rick, Ricky Fowler. I almost called him Rick Fowler. It's Ricky Fowler. He's not like Rick, Rick Schroeder who wound up getting rid of the Ricky, getting rid of the Y in Ricky Schroeder because he grew up apparently. Ricky Fowler, he doesn't mind being Ricky Fowler. Jordan Spieth. Matt Kuchar all tied for ninth at six under. And definitely it is going to be fun to see what happens heading into that final round because a lot there's still a lot, a, lot, a lot of golf left to be played. I'm going to be keeping tabs on that throughout the week, and hopefully and I'm sure you are as well. But, of course, everybody is probably wondering where I'm leaning, which way I'm going when it comes to the SEC, where it just means more, and the standings. I will gladly give you my predictions right here, right now. But first, we need to get get some get some mood music going. I'm not saying you know we're gonna be playing some Marvin Gaye. We're gonna be playing some NFL films music because it just puts it right in that perspective. Oh yes, this is what we're talking about here. SEC predicted order of finish, baby. We we'll start things off. In the Western Division, the predicted order of finish. I think without a doubt, the Alabama Crimson Tide, they got the majority of the first place votes, and they definitely deserve it. They are number one with a bullet, and it feels like it's just too easy. Everything they've got coming back. Jerry Judy to a tongue of Yaloa. Looks like like he's going to be okay after missing out on the Manning Pasca Academy. I want to see what he winds up doing again in the regular season. But from what he was telling us, his hamstring is good to go. He passed up on that largely just to avoid further injury. Smart move on his part and a smart move on Alabama's part. Finishing second is the LSU Fighting Tigers. I would have loved to pick them number one because of everything they have. They've got the one of the best recruiting classes they've ever had. Top to bottom. A lot of great talent all the way around. But I got to put them second place because one thing, one thing only. Two things, actually. One, they need to prove they can beat Alabama. And two, they have an incredibly tough schedule. Their schedule does them no favors. The Texas Longhorns, will they be back or will they be back? Is a debate we've had for months. We're going to get that answer soon enough. What What's going to happen with that Florida game at home for the first time since, I believe, George W. Bush was president? I would go Clinton administration, but I don't think it has been that long. But what's going to happen there? What's going to happen whenever you see LSU play Texas A&M at the end of the year? Is that rivalry 
going to start escalating? Are we going to what are we going to see from that aspect when it comes to LSU and their chances to truly put themselves on another level and show that they can win the SEC because again, a lot of the guys if they're playing against now, they are getting better. Jimbo Fisher, Dan Mullen, both in their second years, they're going to be something to watch. Vanderbilt again, Vanderbilt could be a, a shocker, but I'm not. I, I'm not putting that on paper right now. It is going to be without a doubt all about the Alabama game, Texas A&M, Florida, and Texas. Those four games are going to be tough, and that's where I'm going right now. LSU finishing second, A&M right behind them. I'm giving LSU the win because it's a Tiger Stadium, and you know the. The juices are going to be flowing. Not going to be a seven overtime game, thank goodness. But Texas A&M finishing third. Mississippi State year two under Joe Moorhead. Now you got a new quarterback, Keaton Thompson, Louisiana quarterback. Remember what happened the last time they had a guy like that? That was Dak Prescott. I could see them doing some big things with with him in the near future, but I don't think this year is the year that we see Mississippi State jump by leaps and bounds. Number five is Auburn. I got them finishing fifth, and I think this is the last year of Gus Malzahn as the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, largely because you don't have a true quarterback right now off the top of my head. I don't think they'd be a tr- they'll be a true contender. I got to go with, once again, Auburn finishing fifth, and Gus Malzahn is out of the door at the end of the season. Ole Miss finishing sixth. Matt Luke will be on the hot seat coming into next season because, again, the, the bowl bans are off the table. The sanctions are off the table. You're able to start recruiting a lot better. You're, they're going to give Matt Luke a little bit more time to start becoming, start building their team back up to where it was just a few short years ago when they were legitimate contenders playing in the New Year's, one of the New Year's Six Bowls, and they looked really good in that, those games. Can they get back to the promised land? It's not this year. But it could be in the not too distant future if Matt Luke's able to build towards something. If he's able to do that, then we can talk about it. And then rounding it out, number seven out of the SEC West is the Arkansas Razorbacks, and Chad Morris will will be on the hot seat once again because I feel like Arkansas they know they're in a stacked SEC West because you look at the top four teams, you cannot argue with that. Five through seven, you can argue with it. But I feel like at the bottom of it, it is the Arkansas Razorbacks, and there's going to be a lot of criticism in the not-too-distant future for one. Chad Morris, 2020 is going to be the year he's on the hot seat. He's all about building and sustaining talent. Looking over at the Eastern Division, my predicted order of finish, and it makes all the sense in the world to put the Georgia Bulldogs, Ugga! at number one with a bullet, but I flipped the script, turned it around, and I'm going with Dan Mullins, Florida Gators. I'm making a bold prediction right here, right now, putting the cards on the table. It's going to be the Florida Gators winning the SEC East. They're finally going to get things done at the world's largest cocktail party. Felipe Franks, I feel like, has every chance to be an absolute stud at quarterback with what Dan Mullen is able to do. Because remember, Dan Mullen is a quarterback whisperer. The man is a 
extremely knowledgeable man when it comes to developing the star quarterbacks. So Florida, I've got them winning the SEC East. Georgia right behind them. I would love to kind of see Georgia do it again. But guess what? you got a lot of new blood in the SEC East. It's not like we've seen in the past with the Eastern Conference when LeBron James was leading the Cleveland Cavaliers year after year after year to a NBA Finals with the Golden State Warriors or the Miami, when he was at the Miami Heat, where it was just LeBron James and his big dogs taking on everybody else who was able to just dominate with ease. This is not that same conference. Florida is going to get better. Dan Mullen, as the head coach, is going to make that program look really, really good. And you have to remember, the second year under Dan Mullen is always a good year because when Dan Mullen was the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, when that program wasn't nearly as good as it is now or in as good shape as notable, I got to say, without a doubt, Florida and Georgia, they could wind up being one and two, but it's got to be Florida, Georgia, one and two for me. Number three, the Mizzou Tigers. You got Kelly Bryant leading the way. They're in a they're on a postseason bowl ban, but with Kelly Bryant at the helmet quarterback, I gotta go with them. The the former Clemson quarterback transferring over. I think that is my pick to win it all. As number three, they're gonna pull up. They're gonna be a spoilers, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter all that much because they are a bowl ban. Sadly. Number four, I gotta go with Kentucky. They looked really good last year, kind of coming out of nowhere and becoming the big dogs of the SEC East and making things a lot more entertaining. Let's just go with that. A lot more entertaining. But they are number four. Number five, I gotta go with South Carolina. Will Muschamp and crew. They they're just gonna have to realize there are distinct levels to things. The big difference coaching up a Florida team and bringing them to certain heights. And then you have a South Carolina program. Will Muschamp, not on the hot seat in my mind if he finishes fifth, but I definitely think it gets a little bit warmer. Tennessee, on the other hand, Jamie Pruitt, the man who spent 21 minutes talking and filibustering his way through SEC media days. Because he does not like it, and we know that. He also said some things that are is relatively interesting. I'm, I'm not going to play the soundbite because I might get into some trouble. Because it was definitely an interesting slip of the tongue, if you will. I think Jamie Pruitt will be on the hot seat. And then rounding out, number seven, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt could be a team that could wind up making waves, but I am putting them at the bottom of the barrel because it's unproven. That's what I got right now. The Eastern Division projected order of finish for those just tuning in. Florida, Georgia, Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. Who comes out of these two divisions wins the SEC championship game? I'm going with the Alabama Crimson Tide beating Florida. And I'm going to give you the score prediction right here, right now. And if I'm right, I will laugh so hard because I know I am not exactly the best at giving you the takes and giving you the hottest ones. But I will give you this one right here, right now, today, on July 20th, 2019. The score, whenever they play in December, you've got to go with Alabama, 45, Florida, 7. Alabama will wipe the floor with them and get ready. 
for the college football playoff and seeking that sixth Infinity Stone, Nick Saban, can be the Thanos of the college football universe. Yes, it just made a Marvel reference. Sue me. 11.30, we'll be having Kara Ritchie on to talk about what's going on in the Sunbelt Conference. A lot of new stuff. It's a new day. It's a new season. Yes, it is. And I'm looking forward to talking to her about that. Also, I'll also pick her brain about the St. Louis Cardinals and what they did last night and maybe have a little fun with her about the St. Louis Blues and Gloria. Hey, well, we're having a lot of fun here, so why not keep it going on? We'll change the subject, step away from the SEC for a minute, and bring it back right down to earth right here in the heart of Cajun country, Lafayette, Louisiana. Take a quick commercial break. Back after this, you're listening to Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And more importantly, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Every time CD takes the mic is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Seven years ago, Coach saved my life, and he saved my family. I'm here today to say thank you, Coach. We're here today because of him. Coach always liked to say that he wanted guys that would drink through a water hose. Well, I'm here today, Cajun Nation, to sign up. Sign me up because that's just my game. That was new Louisiana Raging Cajuns baseball coach Matt Deggs talking to the media on Thursday. I wish I was there to hear because, man, Matt Deggs is an absolute just bona fide monster of a hire for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Welcome back to Under the, Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037thegame.com. Excuse me on that one. But when it comes to Matt Deggs being named the Louisiana Raging Cajuns' newest head coach, it's a smart it's a smart move on their part because of the fact of everything that he did with that program as a hitting coach. The fact that that was his second chance. Like Most coaches probably would have passed on having a guy like that be a hitting coach whenever you consider everything that was going on with him at the time. Everything that happened with him back at, UL, back at Texas A&M whenever he got fired from that job and then essentially was selling fertilizer. And then one day he called up Coach Robe and was given the opportunity of a lifetime and given that second chance. We talk about it all the time in sports. Redemption. When it comes to redemption for Matt Deggs, that may have, that is an understatement. The guy not only got a second chance, but he took advantage of it. And not far after that, he got the opportunity of a lifetime to be a head coach at a program like Sam Houston State where he was getting paid more and the football coach, then the basketball coach for both men and women's basketball. He got paid more than most of the head coaches on the, according to their, their publicly released documents. That's saying something. When you look at everything that they were able to do to get this guy to come aboard after being a hitting coach 
at UL for a few years. He turned that program into a contender over at Sam Houston State. The Bearcats have always been a fun team to watch. He turned that program around, brought him to regionals, brought him to super regionals, started to make this program something to be proud of, to be a part of, as opposed to, you know, it's just one of these smaller schools because you couldn't get into the big dogs. You couldn't get into a school like a UL or an LSU or a Texas or a Texas A&M or somewhere along those lines. You weren't, you weren't playing for a true contender in the sense of you being part of one of these bigger Power 5 programs. And it's the smartest thing they could have done largely because I look at it from a perspective of not only a fan, but somebody who's just observed this, the way Cajun athletics has been over the last three to four years now that Dr. Brian Maggard has taken control of this situation. You know, a few years, like, a few years ago, if this would have happened with him, with, like, you have Tony Robichaud stepping down, retiring, what have you, you know, because I feel like that would that was going to be his end game. If all of a sudden, obviously, that didn't happen at the beginning of this month, which I know many Cajun fans are still processing, and undoubtedly they're going to be processing that for quite some time, and it will be very, very weird. I talked about this a couple weeks ago with somebody who works very closely with Cajuns baseball, that it's going to be weird week whenever the Cajuns open up the season. Not seeing Tony Robichaud out there handing out the lineup. It's going to be very weird. It's going to be very unsettling the first day inside the Teak at Russo Park. It is going to be very, very weird not seeing him there after 25 years. It'd be weird for any like franchise, for anybody, to not hear. Like, Think about it. You, If you, you didn't hear the same voice, if you're at Yankee Stadium and you've been a Yankees fan for 25, 30 years, and you didn't hear number two, Derek Jeter. Think about the first time you did not hear that over the PA. You'd be thrown off. You wouldn't be used to it. Imagine if you didn't hear the voice of Alec Box Stadium, Bill Frankes, after all the years that he did it. First game of the season, that he wasn't the voice of Alec Box. You'd be like, wait, who's this guy? It, it's just, it's going to take some time to get used to regardless of who it would have been, but I feel like a guy like Matt Deggs who has the respect of everybody, not just you or me, you know, me and the rest of the media, but he's got everybody's respect because they know what he went through. They know the hard times that he went through. And the fact that one of the big criticisms of Cajun's baseball the last couple of years has been the hitting. The hitting aspect of it has been a point of, like, contention. About hey, they need a new hitting coach. They need this. They need that. I mean, and there's always that criticism for it. Now, what does that mean? I think it means one thing and one thing only: that the Cajuns are going to get better in that aspect with a guy like Matt Deggs, who has that kind of mentality. He's a hitting coach. He has that. He knows how to create a really good offense and develop a really good offense. We saw that. During those big runs in 2014 and 2015, we saw that firsthand. And more importantly, he gets to carry on the legacy that Robichaud left behind where he went up to the big ballpark in the sky. It just, it, it's still hard to process for me especially. I'm sure it is for a lot of y'all listening around the world. But now that we know officially Matt Deggs is the new Louisiana Raging Cajuns head baseball coach, 
I love it because it shows that Dr. Brian Maggard and crew know what's going on with this community. They know how big Matt Deggs meant to this city. Not just as a man, but in terms of just his journey. And when you look at what he did in the past, you know, Magger could have easily just said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and sign up another Power 5 assistant. Like a, I saw people bring, I saw somebody bring this up and I was like, why you, Why would you even think about this? Like, I think somebody, I saw somebody say Canizero. Hell no. Canizero isn't getting another job in college football after what he did at Mississippi State. I'm sorry. But that is that is just a a bold statement, but it's a wrong statement. We're gonna take a quick commercial break. Again, Matt Deggs, new head coach of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, definitely more than deserving. Speaking of the Sun Belt, we're gonna flip it over. Look at what's going on around the Sun Belt, especially the new look Sun Belt Conference with a new commission. App State and Troy's head coach no longer there. Now we got a lot more things to talk about, and we'll do it next with Kara Ritchie. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the app, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia and a sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live as always from the 237 Roof Studios. Presented by Lafayette Roofing and of course, SEC Media Days. They are in the rear view mirror, so it's time to kind of shift things over to what's going on this coming Monday. Some of Media Days coming up, but just get a little Sunbelt talk going on. Especially about some of the new stuff with App State Troy and of course... The new Sun Belt Commissioner. We got to go to the Arco Equipment Hotline right now. Talk with our good friend Kara Ritchie. You can follow her on Twitter at Kara underscore Ritchie. What's going on? Hey, how's it going? All good here. I can about imagine it's all good there, especially after last night. The St. Louis Cardinals coming back down 7 nothing and putting up 10 runs on the way to a 12 to 11 win. What can you say about that rally last night? Man, that's my team, and that blew me away. Uh, for so long, actually for about two months leading up to the All-Star break, this team had a big, big problem scoring runs. The offense was was just not doing very much damage. Um, this was a team that really struggled to, to hit for power especially. And then all of a sudden uh, they've been out of the break, the balls have been flying out of the park, and then, I mean, a 10-run inning just doesn't happen, period, let alone with an offense that's kind of been struggling. So it was a lot of fun to follow along last night. It was definitely entertaining to watch. Mind you, next weekend, not so much because everybody's playing my Houston Astros, so hopefully the Astros can kind of get things done over there because they may, they may be in the AL now, but there's still no love laws for the St. Louis Cardinals here in Astros country. Yeah, probably not. I'll tell you what, though. You guys don't even need that series. What's your lead in the division? Like eight games, something ridiculous? You should just let us win that one. <laughs> No, we're never gonna we're never gonna let, let y'all just just win one, okay? Y'all y'all, y'all had enough over us over the years. And by the way, currently still, five and a half still games from that uh, 
old Homer then? Yes, definitely. It, it, it'll never go away. It never just goes away there, Kara. <laughs> Talking right now with Kara Ritchie. She's part of 95.3 The Ticket out in Jonesboro, Arkansas. A little Sunbelt talk, obviously. Now we're going to get to what's causing all this. And starting things off, I think we need to talk about a lot of the newness going on around the Sunbelt, and we're going to start from the top down. And that is obviously new Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill was touted that back in March towards the end of the college basketball season. What's your perspective on the new head coach, a new new head coach, excuse me, new commissioner of the Sunbelt? You know, it's it's still kind of just just wait and see. Um, I've listened to him speak. He is, uh, it's easy to listen to him. He does seem to have a plan. But uh, but right now, you know, we haven't really seen a lot to be able to make a good decision on whether or not this is going to be a, a good thing for the league or or no. I mean, first impression is, is all positive. I like hearing what he has to say. I like hearing uh, about what the conference is going to do basketball-wise because right now football is in a, in a, a bit of a stable place in the league. Uh, so much of, of what changed in the league uh, football-wise was done under Carl Benson from the new TV contract to getting the uh, next cycle of bowl contracts all set up to adding in the championship game. Sunbelt football is in, a, in an okay spot. Now, I think the league needs to work on uh, capturing the momentum that the Sunbelt has football-wise right now because right now this is a better conference than Conference USA. This is a better conference than the MAC, And I still think the national perception might, might see it as the worst conference in college football, and that's not the case. So what is Commissioner Gill going to do to build up the reputation of Sunbelt football? And then, too, uh, he's talked – so much of the focus has been on, on basketball because Sunbelt basketball is kind of – it's kind of a mess. Uh, it's been a one-bid league for the most part for 15, 20 years at this point in time with, with just a few exceptions. So you got to work on that. And if you can't make it a multi-bid league, then you have to be able to get to a point where the winner of the Sunbelt Conference is able to get an 11 seed or a 12 seed instead of a 14 uh, or even a 15. So he's got that ahead of him. He did come from a basketball conference, uh, a, a league that did have multiple bids in the NCAA tournament. So, We'll, we'll see what he can do. First impression, I, I like hearing what he has to say, but how is he going to enact these these goals that he's set? Exactly. I think that's definitely going to be the big thing on Monday to kind of set, start establishing these goals, especially when you look at what's going on around college football specifically because obviously that's the big thing everybody's going to wind up talking about with college football. You thought of it being relatively stable, and I think that's what you look what you can say about a lot of those – a lot of the – conferences around the country because of the fact that you've got no no real talk of expansion especially after the AAC let UConn mm-hmm. fall to the wayside and go back to the Big East now we're talking about the AAC not expanding at least in the not too distant future what can you say about like what Keith what Keith Gill's going to talk about come Monday from that aspect of trying to establish themselves as being better than some of these other conferences, like you talked about, they're definitely a lot better than the conference USA. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, uh, and and that's something that I really want to hear because I feel like that should be his message that this is a league on the rise. So how does he, how does he make that message resonate? Because I, I'll be honest, I am so not a fan of Mike Oresco and the AAC's Power Six uh, mantra. You know, it 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 irks me, but. People talk about it. It has got people talking. It has got people to just automatically 
uh, assumed the perception that the AAC is leaps and bounds ahead of the other four group of five conferences. That's not necessarily the case. There is some, there are some heavy hitters in that league. You look at teams like Houston, UCF that are that have been successful, that will be successful. But it's not like it's just major apples to oranges, and the payout in these leagues is not that much different. So, what does Commission Guild do to to kind of you know, get people talking about the Sun Belt. And, and I wish I had an answer on what he can and should say, but I, I don't. So uh, I'm going to be tuned in to, to just about any time he takes the mic, whether it's on, you know, our station or whether it's when he does his State of the Sun Belt address. Uh, I want to hear what he has to say, and I want to know how he delivers that message. I agree with you. Talk right now with Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone on 95.3 The Ticket. Now we're going to keep it going with a lot of the newness going on, especially with the world of college football. Because the two big dogs of the Sun Belt, their head coaches moved on to greener pastures and Scott Satterfield and Neil Brown, respectively. Starting things off with App State new head coach, Eli Drinkwitz. Obviously, fantastic name, first off. But second yeah. of all, I got to say, I feel like this could be interesting to see what App State does, new head coach, but still relatively the same kind of tools that they had last year. Yeah. They return a ton, specifically at well, they return talent just all, all up and down that roster. Uh, they returned their starting quarterback, Zach Thomas, who honestly I thought was probably going to be the preseason uh, Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Year. He was not. Uh, that went to Troy's Rainback. But but uh, I, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but Eli Drinkwitz was at Arkansas State for uh, a, a couple of years. He came in under he, – he was here during the Gus Malzahn season. I want to say coaching running backs, although I'm not 100% on that, but – the second year, uh, he was here for two years. The next year, it was when Brian Harson was the head coach, and he was the co-offensive coordinator. Uh, it got to about the middle of the season in Jonesboro, and Brian Harson had been calling the plays. The offense was a little bit stagnant. They turned things over to Coach Drink to, to do that, and it, it, it ramped up the offense quite a bit. And Arkansas State ended on a bit of a surge that year and, and won their bowl game. Um, so I, he's a guy who is very well-versed in the Sun Belt. Uh, he is a strong offensive mind. And I think he's going to do well. I'm intrigued to see, you know, what different wrinkles we'll see on what has already been a very successful program. But uh, I think he's set up for success, and uh, and I think he's going to be able to hit the ground running there. Kara Ritchie, with the friendly reminder that Gus Malzahn was a former Arkansas State football coach. Thanks for the things that are reminded there, Kerry. Yeah, Gus and uh, Hugh Freeze and Brian Harson. <laughs> there's a there's an interesting few years here. One of those things is not like the others there, Kara. When it comes to you brought, up, you brought up those three names, one of those things is not like the others. But moving over to the Troy Trojans now, Chip Lindsey, one of these offensive minds that we talk about with App State. Now we've got kind of sure. Chip Lindsey being an offensive mind as opposed to what we've seen in the past with Troy where it definitely is more of a defensive-minded program. Mind you, they've had like really good quarterbacks, but I've seen a lot more of a defensive mindset what can you say about the Troy Trojans now that they'll have Chip Lindsey in there? Will there be any significant changes from your POV? You know what? I'll be honest. I'm, I, I haven't done my research at this point on Troy like I probably should have, and, and obviously I'm not near as familiar with Chip Lindsey as, as I am with Eli Drinkwitz. But, again, it's a situation where it's a team that's set up for success. Uh, they return a lot. And, uh, you know, Neil Brown really just uh, really just built back up that program. Troy has always been so strong. They've got a good fan base. They've got a good support. They've got, they're in a, a very talent-rich region. And that program kind of stagnated just a little bit towards the end of the Larry Blakeney era. But then Neil Brown built it back up. And, and I don't see any reason for, 
for big drop off under under Lindsay. I just I just can't fathom that 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 would be the case for the Trojans. Talking right now with Kara Rich, host of the Workday Red Zone ninety five three, the ticket. And when it comes to the preseason polls, according to the coaches, they actually have App State and the Cajuns facing off a rematch from last year's inaugural Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Were you surprised at that to see more specifically the Louisiana Raging Cajuns get that spot, considering how the series between the Cajuns and the Red Wolves has been in recent years? Because it's been usually yeah. whoever's hosting that game wins it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised to see the coaches pick that because that is a coaches poll and the coaches have other things to worry about this time of year. So the, the preseason poll is pretty much identical to last season standings. Uh, and, and so I get it. I'm not surprised by that at all. I will say though, you bring up a good point there that, you know, if, if, if I personally had been making that poll and, and not because I'm a homer, although I am, uh, and, and, not because I, I don't think the Raging Cajuns are going to have a good team and, in fact, be even better in year two under Billy Napier, but I would have given Arkansas State the edge there in the West for the simple fact that that A-State and Raging Cajuns game is going to be played in Jonesboro. 15 of the last 18 seasons, that game has been won by the home team. Uh, and there have been some wild ones in that series. So if, if it comes down to uh, if this season, these teams are as, as competitive as I, I expect that they'll be, if they're close in the standings, I feel like just for the reason that that fact is in Jonesboro, you give the edge to the Red Wolves. And I have to agree with it, that statement there, Kara, because it just, it shows how wild and crazy this thing has been, especially when you think about it. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably one of the biggest rivalries in the Sun Belt between the Cajuns and Arkansas State. And I feel like nine, nine out of 10 people would probably agree with me on that. I think so too. You know, for in in Louisiana, there there are you know the Cajuns play ULM. Uh, I, I know in the past they played Tech. In, in Arkansas, there's two FBS programs, and the Razorbacks will not play the Red Wolves. So you don't have a, a, an in-state rival. Additionally, uh, for years, Arkansas State had a good rivalry with Memphis. And those two teams haven't played in quite a while, although there is a series starting up soon. Um, A-State also was, uh, in the past, uh, played Louisiana Tech a lot, but this was 20 years ago. So that rivalry has died out just a little bit. So if you circle one game on the Arkansas State schedule that is a rivalry game, it is the Raging Cajuns. Plus, we've seen in, in some years with uh, with these, we've seen these teams just flat out not liking each other uh, in, in some of these games. I, I don't necessarily think it was, as much the case last year under Napier, but but it's a rivalry. I don't I don't think the players really like each other that much. I don't think I think the fans respect each other, but I don't think they like each other that much either. So it's it's fun. It's a good one to to watch. I'd be in total agreement with that, Kara. Talk right now with Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone on ninety five three, the ticket out in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And one more before I let you go. We were talking about the Cardinals right now. They're looking good, two and a half games up. Of course, your St. Louis Blues won the state Stanley Cup championship. Yeah. And it's, it's making me wonder, Kara, just from your perspective, if the St. Louis Cardinals make the playoffs right now, it seems like more likely than not they will. Maybe as a wild card, maybe as the NL Central champions. That that division has been like playing hot potato right now from what I've been able to yeah. kind of make out. But if, that, if they make the playoffs, the Blues, they've won the Stanley Cup already, and you have Arkansas State win the Sunbelt Conference Championship, would that be like the, the best year for you in terms of like athletics? You add that in, and then you somehow miraculously get the Memphis Grizzlies into the playoffs. <laughs> and I would say yes. 
<laughs> and the chances of all four of those happening, it is like 0.002%. So, uh, but you, you throw all of that in together. I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in really good spirits for a really long time. Oh, I can about imagine that'd be about how it is with me if the Pelicans can somehow make the playoffs and make a run <laughs> with the first year in, with Zion Williamson, but that's easier said than done. Kara, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Definitely ahead of that Arkansas State Cajuns ball game. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Clint. All right, that was Kara Ritchie. Once again, follow her on Twitter if you love to get a little perspective of the Sun Belt Conference because she does her homework. You can follow her on Twitter right now at Kara underscore Ritchie. I've left just enough time. we got to get one more take in, and we're going to do that next. But first, got to take a quick commercial break. Be back with even more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. I'm finally getting the hang of that. Right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. From the preps. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Such a good way to end the show. Well, we make a whole segment out of it. And that was just great to talk with Kara Ritchie. If you missed that, we'll have it up on 1037thegame.com soon enough. And by the way, while you're over on 1037thegame.com, listening to us, however you listen to us, because trust me, we got a lot of different ways to do so, you can actually enter in to win a lot of great things. Namely, and I feel like this is awesome, I was just on the phone with somebody about this in the break. You go to 1037thegame.com. You click on our Clubhouse Rewards Club. It is simple, and all you got to do is sign up. It's free to enter, and it's free to join. It's just that simple. And you have a chance to win a Houston Astros Weekend Getaway. You can enter in to win a Houston Astros Weekend Getaway right now. Like I said, you just go to 1037thegame.com, click on the Rewards Club. It is just that simple. You have a chance to win that up. $50 gift card to Prejean's. Trust me, the Rewards Club has you covered with all kinds of great stuff. But what's really awesome is 1037thegame.com has tons, and I mean tons, of SEC Media Days coverage, which is a perfect way to kind of segue into the last segment of the show. And then is some thoughts about SEC Media Days from a perspective of a SEC Media Days rookie. I'm not going to use a term that we used over the weekend, because not necessarily the best word that I can use on the air, but that's my one final take of the week. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I got to say, the first time ever at SEC Media Days, it was an awesome experience. Not only because of the fact that we get to talk to all 14 coaches, a ton of players. It was an experience unlike any other. If if you're a fan of just college football in general, this is the place to be. Because in fact, they make it an epic event over the course of four days. 
Radio Row is hectic as all get out. You got people running in and running out. Like I bumped into so many people who are friends of the program, not just on my show, but on all the other programs that we've had here on 1037 Game, like a Barrett Lee, like a Chris Gordy, several people who I've never really gotten to meet and talk to extensively. I got to meet him. Jacques Duce, I met him. I talked to him several times. People from across the basin. So much fun just to kind of have these general conversations with these guys. But my biggest takeaway, and this is something that I am in the process of writing about. I don't want to give away the full details about it because it is a long, long form story about mental health. Because Greg Sankey, during his opening statement, brought up an interesting point. And that was about mental health and how this is a thing that needs to be discussed more. And we need to start kickstarting the conversation. And that's the biggest thing for me is the conversation needs to be stimulated. And we need to spend time trying to make sure we're not just basically, hey, man up and, and don't talk about what's going on in your life off the field. Because everybody deals with things their own their own way. And we look at a lot of these players who are now under so much scrutiny now compared to what they were 20, 30 years ago. Back 20 years ago, you'd just be dealing with, you know, your your players would probably be criticizing you a little bit. But you'd be mainly dealing with, you'd be seeing newspapers would write articles and they'd say, oh, hey, this guy's not necessarily as good as, as he was hyped up to be, you know. You know how damaging that is to probably a young athlete's psyche? It's pretty damaging. Now you got social media 24 7, 365. You're dealing with that on a regular basis. And again, this is something I'm, I'm going to write about in a big, long form article that'll hopefully be up by tomorrow. I've got something else on tap that's coming up. I'm going to be posting a little bit later today. Just about my first person perspective. But honestly, I love my experience. And would I do it again? Hell yeah. I would definitely do this one. Like I would do this every year if at all possible. That's just my perspective because I felt like, you know, now that I know what to expect, I can handle things. And as I like to say, hold it down a lot better. I feel like that's, that was something I struggled with was handling everything and holding it down. Now I know what to do. I know the strategy. I know the game plan and I want to do it again, especially now that it's going to the ATL and then Memphis and then wherever else is going to go going forward. It's going to be fun. I can't wait for it. But that's my one last take about SEC Media Days. Now we move forward to Sunbelt Media Days and we get one step closer to the start of college football season. That's always a good thing. And it's been a good day so far. And it's going to be even better. Astros baseball coming up. 535 pregame, 610 first pitch. In-state rivalry renewed between the Astros and the Rangers. I should have talked about the schedule being a little bit of a BS. But, you know, I, I think it definitely needs to be reduced because 162 games is way too much. But I'm out of here because two hours is just enough. You've been listening to Under the Dome right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Peace! Hey, Clavis! Wake up! The show's over. Oh, yeah! Kick it! Live from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is KLIN.